Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 129 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I am so glad you're here today. My guests today, guests, plural, are Lauren DeRusso and Larry White, who are duo design partners in Texas. Now, Lauren has 15 plus years in at Hornall Anderson in Seattle, and Larry has been freelancing mostly, but also in and out of studios uh, in the Seattle area. Very recently, they both decided to partner up, create duo design partners, and take that studio to Texas. They talk about their move to Texas in a Volkswagen Bug with no air conditioning. Drove the whole way. You bet they did. They also tell us about the designs that are really influential to them and why. We talk about the excitement of a press check and good old printing and how it's amazing. Lauren also gets into telling us about the challenge of inspiring others and battling burnout in that large, fast-paced agency life and the current struggles of starting a new studio and having to sell and find new customers and After leaving agency life, you know, you used to have a department that did that. Now it's you. Larry also tells us about the freelance design project that he is the most proud of and why. And Lauren tells us the details of an Alaskan Airlines rebrand project she was a part of and why she's so proud to have been a part of it. These two have amazing stories to share and have been in the design game for a long time and have lots of experience to bring to the table. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to this fun and awesome and joyous episode with my guests, Lauren DeRusso and Larry White from Duo Design Partners. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field. And we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Hello, Lauren and Larry. How are you today? Great. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so happy you guys are on here. We had a little technical issue earlier on, but I'm glad we could sort it out and get you back. Mm-hmm. We did it. <laughs> Perfect. So I have to ask this um, because the premise of the show, I mean, it's the Quickie Podcast. Are you guys ready for a Quickie? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I'm going to start with you, Lauren. Let's briefly tell the listeners about yourself. So I'm Lauren. I'm married to Larry. We're duo, duo design partners. We met working in Dallas um, quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we moved on up to Seattle. We lived and worked there for 20 years, absorbed a whole lot Mm -hmm. of experience. We started a family, um, raised some chickens, did the whole Seattle thing. (laughs) Um, Raising chickens, is that a Seattle thing? It was one of our goals. Perfect. I love that. I'd love to have some backyard chickens. 
Yeah. So we worked together in the past and then we spent a lot of time not working together and had different work experiences. Um, I worked at a large agency by the name of Hornell Anderson for almost the entire time we were up there, Mm -hmm. um, which was terrific and great. I loved my experience there. Um, And then we decided to move down back to Texas to be closer to family. Mm So now we've started our own thing, and we're duo, and we're hoping to uh, really reinvigorate the um, the market with what we have to offer from our learnings from Seattle. Very cool, Larry. Let's kick this ball over to you. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, I'm Larry White. Um, she probably mentioned most everything, but uh, I was born in Texas and. Uh, Lived here until I was about 35, and we moved back to Seattle. Um, uh, Lauren and I worked together when we first got to Seattle at an annual port shop uh, for a while. And then when Lauren went to work at another agency, uh, I freelanced for quite a few years in Seattle and then uh, took a job at an agency, worked there for about five years, and then uh, started freelancing again. So, um, And now we're back here to uh, see what we can do with do well. Got it. So with the move from Seattle back to Texas, um, you were really freelancing like when you were planning to leave? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I'm still freelancing for some of the people that, uh, well, I don't like to call it freelancing, but still working with some people uh, that I had in Seattle as well. Awesome. Some clients. Good. So you guys gave like a great sort of like snapshot of the last 20 years, um, yeah. you know, in the design game. Um, Lauren, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into your time at Hornell Anderson briefly here. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us sort of about what that role was, what it consisted of, and maybe sort of where it started and where it ended for you? Sure. So I started at Hornell Anderson as a freelancer. I was hired to mostly do some work for some collateral product brochures for Holland America Line, which is Seattle's hometown cruise mm-hmm. line. Um, freelance there for three years before I decided to go on staff. And um, I grew just a whole lot from Holland America. Um, I've worked on different accounts for and projects for clients like Starbucks, Microsoft, um, La Brea Bakery um, and Alaska Airlines were some of the, my favorite relationships that I mm-hmm. got to work with. And and we did a lot of, like I said, collateral print. Well, I, I actually got to work on some work for PepsiCo, which is based in the Dallas area. Um, did some work on Quaker, Frito-Lay work, a lot of packaging Um, But then it grew into more of a brand type of um, experience as far as the projects went. So we went from more one-off type projects to a bigger, more holistic brand point of view um, as we dived into what our clients really needed, which was really eye-opening for me. And I owe a lot to that, like an education, Um, grew there a whole lot. Very cool. Um, So Larry, then over to you quickly here, your freelance career and then a little bit of studio life and then freelance again, was there sort of a particular category of business that you looked at or a particular, um, you know, design? Was it web design? Was it print design? Was it all of the above? Where did you sort of settle? 
Well, it mostly started with obviously print design. Um, but you know, it, it grew into so many different things. You know, I worked for an ad agency. Uh, so there were, you know, you had to wear a lot of hats there and do a lot of different things. So, you know, it, it, as a freelancer or a single kind of sole proprietor out there doing your thing, you're usually not getting the kind of projects that Lauren might be working on at a larger agency. But mm-hmm. um, when I worked at an agency, I got to do, you know, a lot of bigger things like I uh, worked on a magazine, uh, worked on advertising, websites, and uh, pretty much the whole gamut uh, that you could do there. I was the basically the design director at an advertising agency, so I was in charge of most of the design projects. Very cool. Okay. So it sounds like both of you had a very diverse design background and got to touch a lot of things, including print and, you know, extending out to branding and web. Very cool. Yes. So I want to then dive further back um, into childhood for you both. And I want to hear if you had a creative childhood that you think led you in this career path. Um, I, I, I'll go first. I would say that as a child, definitely there was nothing that inspired me to be a graphic designer. I, I grew up in a very small town in Texas in the seventies. There weren't a lot of, uh, inspiration, uh, cues that would, you know, drive me to want to be a graphic designer necessarily. My, my oldest brother was really good at art and drawing and I was inspired by that, I think. And, uh, enjoy doing that kind of thing, but you know, I had no idea what graphic design was or even advertising at that point. I was, you know, just being a kid, but always, um, you know, enjoying art and drawing and doing different things. I remember uh, being in church and a friend of mine would draw a couple of squiggles on a piece of paper and then I would fill out the rest of that and draw a dinosaur or something else from it. So <laughs> I was always very interested in, you know, being artistic, but I had no idea that that would lead anywhere more than just drawing horses and whatnot, you know. Got it. So sticking with you here, Larry, for a minute, what was the moment that that sort of clicked for you? Or what? at what point did you start to, you know, connect with design and see design as more of a career option then? You know, that didn't really happen until I got into design school. So I, I was in college and uh, really kind of, just flailing, not not really having an idea of what I was good at, what I could do. I think I flunked out in a couple of classes for different, you know, financial things, and I had no idea. I just really didn't know. And then uh, a friend of mine's uh, girlfriend saw me drawing a picture one day, and she brought up graphic design that they had it there at the school. So I went and checked that out and um, decided I was going to be a graphic designer. And once I got in the classes, then that was the point in which – I started to be aware of graphic design and advertising and logos and just all of these different things that I really didn't, I just wasn't aware about at that point. So mm-hmm. that was the point in which I started to get, you know, inspired or at least knowing what was going on. Very cool. So that's the moment that that journey kicked off for you. Definitely. Pretty late, you know, I would say college. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's okay. We all get there on our own time, Larry. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lauren, I'm going to kick it over to you. What? Uh, give me the childhood story. Did you have a creative childhood? Um, well, my childhood was like we moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, there wasn't anybody in my family that was particularly creative, but um, I remember writing letters to my cousins and my family back home in Massachusetts. And I would, in the middle of the letter, I would interrupt it with a radio spotter. Like this letter is brought to you by Blamo or something like that. Or I would add a comic strip or a small ad in the corner, which my family always found funny and very weird, but they encouraged me to keep up being creative. And throughout school, I would say in high school, I took as many art classes as I could. And I was very lucky. I went to a public school that had a lot of art classes. But then at the end of my high school career, I remember sitting down with my parents and the high school guidance counselor. And my dad, who was very pragmatic, he's a financial guy, he asked the guidance counselor, what can my artsy daughter do? (laughs) And she said, commercial art, because that's what they called it in the late 80s. So that's what I pursued. And I did enjoy it very much. And I um, applied to a school that had a great design program and took it from there. Very cool. That's great. So I've got the sort of intro story from both of you. Um, Uh You both kind of came to it at different times, discovered it in a different way. But I'm interested to see, um, and I'm going to start with you, Lauren, what stands out as the most influential design of your life so far? It could be something that you've seen and it just stuck with you, or maybe even something you've been a part of. So after I had been a, a designer for a few years, Um, I had opened up a graphics magazine, and inside was VW's new Beetle. Cool. And I saw these gorgeous, sexy photos of this car like no other car I've ever seen. The beautiful dashboard, everything was a circle. It was so beautiful. And I just decided I had to have it. I couldn't believe that I could afford it, first of all. It was so beautiful. (laughs) Um, but I went out and bought it and I'm still driving it today. No way. I, it makes me so happy. Yeah. It's 20 years old. I drove it to Seattle and then I drove it back. Very cool. That's so awesome. Yeah. So you drove from Seattle to Texas in a Volkswagen Beetle. I did. <laughs> and I smiled almost all the way here. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, now I'm trying to put a picture to this. Was there suitcases tied to the roof? Was there, you know, dogs and cats in the back seat? What, what, paint this picture for me. It, there was, okay, this is very interesting. So right before we had to leave, we found out that the air conditioning didn't work. And so we were like, we should get the window tint fixed. We put it in the shop the day before to get the window tint replaced. And they had said, you know, you can't roll down the windows after we put the window tint on for five days. (laughs) And so I said, stop, (laughs) don't put the window tint on. So you can picture this, me driving from Seattle through Bend, Oregon, 
we went through Lake Tahoe, then Las Vegas, Santa Fe, and into the DFW area with no AC, windows down like it was a different decade, with all the wind and sands of the western U.S. just whipping me <laughs> all the way awesome. down, but I had so much fun. It was great. That's so cool. Okay, what color is this beetle? Last question, I promise. It's white. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Okay, that's terrific. Um, Larry, I want to go over to you. I want to hear what was the, what's been the most influential design of your life so far? Um, I, it wouldn't be anything I've done. I think that uh, the only thing I could think about would be, you know, what I was inspired by in college. Um, people like mostly someone like Woody Pirtle, who one poster that I can think of that really got me thinking about how cool it is and how how you can apply wit to design and and just do something really neat and visual was when um, I saw a poster that Woody Pirtle did of he was having a visit to Iowa and he was from New York he worked at Pentagram and he did this poster of uh, ear of corn with the green part folded up and then the corn part going up and then it had it turned into the Chrysler building at the top and it was just super simple and visual and it communicated quickly it was you know it wasn't just art it was something that kind of had a message in it and it was witty and I and it was something that that I really uh hung on to and and tried to you know without success emulate for the next several years. <laughs> yeah. But it's something that definitely stuck with you. It sounds like a unique piece for sure. It is, you know, and pretty much everything Woody Pirtle did back in those days were, you know, that was the days before computer mostly and um, everything was really raw and simple and iconic. It was like everything was a, a logo, but it was in poster form. So um, that was before you get into branding and uh, brand guidelines and all these other things that we do these days. So it was more, visual and artsy i think got it all right guys well who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow what about it uh, or what about them do you like um i guess i'll answer that so i always look to paul rand he's not new but timeless and every time he articulated a message through design you knew it was his mm -hmm. and it was always spot on and i strive to get to that place with my design mm -hmm. conceptual succinct and um just really clear design um, plus he would go to a client and offer one logo design and say this is a logo for you what a badass i just love that so much um some people i follow right now um chris doe I mm -hmm. like the way he thinks. Um, I am a fan of Aaron Droppelin, so there's that. And then I always appreciate the work from Pentagram, like Paula Scheer, uh, Michael Beirut. Mm -hmm. um, really timeless, strong design. That's, that's what I strive for, conceptual design. What about you, Larry? Who are you looking up to? Who are you following these days? Well, she kind of stole one of mine. I think uh, Pitagram is just the best in my mind at what they do. Um, they're corporate, but they communicate, and they, they do it in super interesting ways, and they're really conceptual. Uh, they're able to do it across, you know, 
every media. So uh, to me, they're still at the, the pinnacle. Um, you know, Paula Scher is really one of my heroes. I think she, you know, her work doesn't look like she has a computer or needs a computer to do it. It's It all kind of speaks, and she, she has her typography. Uh, she works it in ways that really kind of speaks to whatever she's trying to say. You know, if she's creating a poster about something that's supposed to be uh, super active, then her type is super active. She just has a real smart way about working. And also, you know, she's designed many things where her ideas come in the first five minutes of hearing the client talk. You know, she, she can figure things out and do things quickly. She communicates in super simple ways. Um, you know, I would say someone else is some friends of ours, uh, Matchbox Studio in Oh, Dallas. yeah, good one. Yeah, which, you know, for years, you know, uh, since we moved away, they, they created their place and they've been doing really incredible work and just kind of fresh and, uh, you know, not super corporate, but they can cross over into corporate ways too. But I think that uh, there's someone that I, I love to follow. Nice. And that was sort of Matchbox Studio? Matchbox Studio. Matchbox yes. Studio. Very cool. I haven't heard of them, so I'm going to have to look them up. Oh, excellent. Perfect. So I have a question now that I think both of you will have a different um, you know, story behind, um, but it's about print and packaging. Um, I just want to hear how you have utilized print and packaging in your design careers. And if you have you know, one or two stories around print or projects that really have stuck with you um, and why. So Larry, can I start with you on this? Sure. Um, I haven't been involved in a ton of packaging uh, in my, my career, unfortunately, but I have done a tremendous amount of print. Um, really, when I think of print, because I, I don't get to do as much of it as I used to when we were younger. Uh, Lauren and I used to work at a shop in Dallas. Uh, we did a lot of annual reports and so we would each handle you know several annual reports a year and be involved in actually taking those through the printing process as well um, and we worked with not exclusively but some of my best memories of printer like working with Williamson Printing in, in Dallas uh, who's no longer a business but you know we would be there going on press checks at 10 o'clock at night and then you might have another one at 2.30 and you might have mm -hmm. another one at 4 and then you would still be expected to be at work the next day but <laughs> um, that kind of stuff seems weird at the time and you would complain about it but I have great memories of you know just being there at the, at the uh, printing place and just you know the smell of the inks and going to the press checks and you know the whole process of kind of turning your designs on the computer into something that was on paper. So uh, really mostly the smell of the printing place is the best part ever. So Totally. That sticks with yeah. you, right? You remember. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get rid of that. And so today, you know, there's hardly, you know, so many people don't even do press checks. Uh, it, you know, I, I noticed that a lot of people don't do press checks. And, and if I ever have an opportunity, I'm definitely going to go uh, check out a press check. Definitely. Lauren, you had mentioned, um, you know, during your time at Hornell Anderson that you got to dabble in print a fair amount. So I'm interested to see what's, uh, what really stands out for you. 
Yeah. So when I started at Hornell Anderson, um, I worked on those product brochures for Holland America, got to go on a few of those press checks, which is always great. It was mm-hmm. very similar to an annual report press check. It was a long form brochure, um, which is great. And I do miss the smell of ink, I got to say, mm-hmm. um, and being there and being involved. Um, as my... Um, my tenure matured at Hornell Anderson and we got into other bigger global clients like uh, PepsiCo, Frito-Lay, Quaker, um, that kind of thing. Um, the ability for the designers to go to press checks kind of evaporated Definitely. and we lost the ability to spec this paper. Um, there were, and that that's always been a huge loss for me is like not being able to, spec the paper which is a huge thing and we would have production managers that if there was a press check somebody would go to that person would go mm-hmm. and that person would communicate with the printer or that person would manage the drawdowns that kind of thing um, I did miss it quite a bit and then also um, there was the realm of most recently if you did have something to print that wasn't a package it would be uh digitally printed so mm-hmm. it would be this is the stock that works best on this digital press you get to choose between coded or uncoded and it's going to be four color process mm-hmm. and that's all there is to it so um i am missing that connection to printing and i would love to get it back yeah because that's part of the craft um yeah awesome so The next question is sort of the tough few. Um, I've got a few questions that take you guys down part of your career where you likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, faced some challenges, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. Um, So Lauren, I'm going to start with you on this one. And you know, if they're the same answer for both of you, then please, both of you can speak to it. Um, but what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? So for me, the challenge got to be um, when I would say that I was fighting burnout from just simply being overwhelmed with the amount of work that I had to do, mm-hmm. um, which happened, you know, on and off over my career, but as I gained more responsibility at the agency, it kind of ramped up. And so the challenge was to keep myself fresh and then to also inspire my, my creative teams Mm -hmm. so they don't suffer burnout. So, um, the way I would get around that is by simply being open, communicating to my team that I, you know, I need space. My team needs space because creative needs space mm-hmm. to breathe and, and, and just being open and allowing myself to take a walk or go to the museum or just simply not check my email, yeah, that's that a kind of thing. So that was my major um, hurdle, I'd say. Got it. Yeah, that's a tough one. So what did you do to get through that? You just took some time for yourself um, you know, every time that crept up or did it just get to a point where that didn't fix it anymore and you needed to change? You know, I had a really supportive team at Hornell Anderson and we could lean on each other when we needed it. So 
I would I would take as much as I could handle. And if I could see that the work needed something else or the work was suffering, then I could reach out to my mentors at work. There was this one time in particular, I remember um, being the design director on a particular project. Mm -hmm. And we were working up until the very last moment before a client presentation. The client was flying in from somewhere. I was very nervous that the work was not where it needed to be. And me and the team were designing up until the last moment. I was pretty young at being a design director at that time. And um, we had the presentation. I basically ran in there unprepared. And I was unable to properly present and speak to the work because I was still so flustered from making sure that I met the deadline. Mm -hmm. And after the meeting, it was good. Two of my mentors... David and Nori were good and they sat down with me and they said, okay, what's the learnings from this? And I owned what I did and they helped coach me through that so I could feel better about it and not feel like I failed, but I learned. And that's something that I've always kept with me. That's something that I always try and pay forward. Mm -hmm. Um, If I have a team member that feels like they didn't do so well, it's like, okay, but you're going to grow from this. Totally. And I'll I'll never forget that. Yeah. What a great, um, you know, experience to go through painful in the moment, but you know, looking back, you sort of see, okay, just a, just a, just a little lesson, just learning. That's right. (laughs) Larry, what you got the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you go through it? Well, man, I don't, I don't know if I have a whole lot on that end as far as challenging goes. I mean, it's all challenging. It's, it's work. It's, it's, you know, it's always, you know, you're behind the gun. You have, you have things you need to do. But re- it, really, I think probably if I had to think of the most challenging time, it would have been when I came out of college and actually had to start working as a designer, as a real designer. Um, that, you know being perfect and uh, doing everything correctly and doing things that you had never done before. When I was a super young designer in the late, you know, in, in college in the late eighties, we were on computers and we were in Adobe illustrator, I think Cork express, things like that. But um, when you went to an actual job, you, you didn't release files to printers, you know, then what you did is you printed them out and you had to put them on boards and cut them up and all this weird stuff that we had to used to do. And and it was totally new to me and, and severely stressful as a young person who had never done that. You're trying to make your way and keep your job and your bosses on you. And, um, it was very stressful. So the first, I would say six months of my career were, you know, like very stressful, but, um, once that, you know, you kind of get used to what's going on and you figure things out and you start getting a groove of things to me, you know, it hasn't been that, that much of a challenge ever since. It's just, you know, everything, like I say, everything's a challenge. It's just something that you have to solve. Definitely. Yeah, that first sort of, you know, when you're out in the quote-unquote real world after school, yeah. that's where it sort of goes, oh, this is what I have to do? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. 
things matter. You know, they aren't, you know, it's not just a teacher looking at your stuff. Mm -hmm. Typos matter. Everything matters. You're dealing with real deadlines and real expensive mistakes at that point. Right. Yes. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go a little bit deeper here, and I want both of you to tell me about a specific design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Um, what was that like? How did that feel? Um, Larry, let's start with you. Take us to that story. Hmm. Um, again, I, you know, I can't think of a specific project that went well, except for I, I would go back to that same time and uh, when I just wasn't used to being sharp and being uh, really good about uh, making sure that everything I was doing was correct. And so you're a little loose, looks like you might be as a student. And I remember one time uh, we were doing this pretty big job for, uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember if it was, it was for some kind, I cannot remember what it was for, but I know that I uh, put a typo in there and it printed and it was like over $50,000 to print it and they had to reprint it. Oh. And so as a young person, you know, who was making, I don't know what I was making, maybe 18,000 tops, uh, to hear that I did something that cost the company over $40,000 to have to reprint was a pretty big, you know, that was a pretty big deal to me at that time. So, um, oh, man, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, how I got over it, you know, just like you do, you know, you just keep going and uh, try to do better next time. And you learn from that and you realize that things are real and that you need to to really pay attention and, and be sharp about what you're doing. So, so that with, was a good lesson. With that reprint story, was that ever, you know, privately addressed with you or was it just something that you heard about through the grapevine and really felt personally? No, it was definitely addressed. It was... Um, the client saw the mistake and, of course, alerted my boss uh, that I worked for. And then he, he told me about it. And it was, you know, it was a big deal. So uh, to have that happen kind of early on was kind of a game changer, I think. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, especially going into later in our lives when we were doing annual reports and things that really matter, you know, that's uh, you have to be really uh you have to really pay attention, obviously, uh, when you're doing annual reports to get all the numbers correct and get everything right. And so I think it really set me up to understanding that this was a big deal and you really had to try hard to do your best. You're triple checking all the typos at right. that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. Um, Lauren, what you got? Well, the story that I think I could share was about a relationship that went bad with the client. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that it was anybody's fault. It was just the way the relationship evolved over time. Mm -hmm. um, it was a really great um, opportunity to help refresh a brand and the package and um, do all of this extension for an in-store experience how to sell licensed concepts. It was a great um, opportunity mm -hmm. as a client. But then I remember it started to deteriorate in a way that um, the client at one point asked us to do something. We gave rationale as to why we shouldn't do that because we're partners in something. You know, we're collaborators. We're both 
we're all working for the best possible outcome for our client. The client actually said to me on the phone, I don't, I don't want you to think. I just want you to do it. Mm. And when I heard that, it really broke me down. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not the relationship that we want to have. No, you immediately and, feel undervalued. Wait, I mean, as creatives, we are thinkers and we're trying to communicate ideas and concepts and messages and to have your client treat you as a pair of hands or be a vendor instead of a partner. That, that was the point at which that relationship started to fall apart. And we actually ended up going separate ways. So Yeah, not surprising. Yeah. Got it. But that was a good learning for me in that uh, you don't need to stay with somebody. I mean, this goes for life. Totally. In general, you don't need to stay with somebody if you're not getting a mutual benefit out of something. And you're not being valued. (laughs) (laughs) That may be a message for me, huh? I don't know. Just kidding. No, Lauren, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you don't have yeah. to stick with it. If it doesn't feel right, then walk away. That's and right. Sometimes, I mean, the money's not worth it. Totally. Sometimes you leave money on the table. Sometimes it's a missed opportunity. But, you know, the cost of, you know, the stress, the mental health, you know, potential mental health problems, the, you know, everything else mm-hmm. that can go with that. Like, come on, life's too short. I ain't got time for that. Right. Right. Exactly. Totally. All right, what are you guys struggling with in your design careers right now? Okay, Ooh. I would say now that we are doing our own design gig, mm-hmm. for me, it's just being more overt and um, meeting people, getting the word out there, mm-hmm. using different parts of my brain, the sales side of my brain, mm-hmm. to gather new business to, you know, put, like I said, put ourselves out there. And luckily, the people in this market in the Dallas-Fort Worth area are very gracious people. Mm-hmm. They're happy to meet and connect and network. So it's been great. But it has been a challenge since I haven't had to do that, you know, working at an agency. Somebody else did that. Exactly. I mean, I got involved in pitches before, but I did it with a team. And yeah. now... I'm representing myself and my partner, um, and that's all we have. So that's my current challenge right now. I know we can do this. I know we can. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just using muscles I've never used. For sure. What about you, Larry? What do you got? What are you struggling with right now? My internet, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it. true. It goes off. search for anything we have the worst internet in the world no that's that's really not the worst thing but as actually right now that's that's been a real issue um i think as you know somebody's been doing it for design and all of this for over 25 years you you have to find ways to keep yourself inspired and figure out ways to keep going you know as a young designer uh you know, it's all new to you and it's very exciting and you want to do well and you're just trying to figure it out. 
maintenance. There's no problem just continually, you know, learning about everything you can and bringing it in. And then you get older and you have children and you're uh, evolving in your life and uh, becoming more confident as a designer. Um, it doesn't mean that you have you can stop at that point and mm-hmm. not continue to learn about all the different things that are still going on and all the new things that happen. Um, whether you know it's different ways that people manage their projects, you know, and things like Slack, and you know, it's like every day there's something new that you need to be aware of, uh, and then you also need to be aware of design. You know, you can't put yourself in a box and just keep designing. You need to see what's happening and. Uh, and evolve with design. So, you know, just making sure you're on top of that and and getting the inspiration to make it happen at this point after 25 years of pushing pixels around. I think that luckily we're doing this with Duo now and we've created a new chapter. And so that's very exciting and, um, you know, it makes it easier to do that at this point, I think. But that's the reality of being seasoned is that you've, You've done this for a long time. You need to figure out ways to keep yourself invigorated. Yeah, you know, the the excitement of it. You said that right. You know, when you're starting something new and you're building something new, you know you're going to find challenges. You know you're going to run into things that seem like you can't overcome them. But right. there's also that excitement of building and creating. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. And Yes. So, guys, I'm going to turn this bus around for you, and I want each of you to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing, or maybe it's the biggest design feather in your cap. Um, I think for me, uh, the, the thing that I, the project that I enjoyed most, and it's not really a project, it was working on a magazine called Executive Travel. Um, and I worked on it as a freelancer for quite a few years. And then I went on staff at the place that created the magazine. And, you know, we worked with wonderful, uh, editors in New York, uh, on this magazine and creating each issue. And it was just like this incredible process that, that happens, you know, six times a year, but somehow, uh, there wasn't a huge pressure on each issue because you had an es- another issue coming after that. So it was really just trying to grow and work with the clients. And and it wasn't a project that, you know, you started and then it ended. It just continually kept going for years. So um, to be able to work on it with other people and have a team and just continually work to all improve this one product uh, was super special and really one of my favorite experiences i always enjoyed annual reports as well um that process and the way it worked but you know the magazine was was something that i was super proud of and super proud to be involved in very cool lauren what is the project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of so for me um that would be alaska airlines um they I mean, working on an airline, I mean, doesn't get much sexier than that. So I was very um, happy to be a part of the team that helped refresh the Alaska Airlines brand. It happened very quickly. And because it happened quickly, um, the process was um, 
it was very interesting. There were many late nights and there were many things that needed to be considered that overlapped. Um, but the team, the marketing team at Alaska Airlines, they were open, which I will never forget. Um, when you're running an airline, you have to consider the operations above everything. Safety is the key. And so when you have designers coming in and suggesting outlandish ideas, it's, it's really remarkable that the client team would be open to all of the things that we suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alaska kept growing. They were growing at such a phenomenal rate that their brand kept on changing. So once we refreshed their brand to make them um, – um, take their um, place on the national stage as a national carrier instead of just a Pacific Northwest airline. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing, but then they decided to buy Virgin America. And they did that for operational reasons, which was to gain more gates on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really think about their brand. Um, and of course, buying Virgin who is known for, you know, all of their, you know, their um, sexiness and their rock and roll and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And then Alaska is known for performance and caring. So taking those two cultures and mashing them together to create a new kind of brand that had to um, embrace a little bit of both. It was kind of like an odd couple marriage, Mm -hmm. but we made the best of it. Um, and we helped reinvigorate their brand again, um, both inside and out, both the consumer brand and then also the employee brand, which is really important totally. to remain authentic, to attract and retain the right people because the brand is the people. So that was really um, a great experience for me. It really redefined what a client relationship could be mm-hmm. and I will never forget it. And when was that? When was that rebrand? Um, the rebrand happened, gosh, it's all a blur. So it happened probably, <laughs> um, five years ago, the initial oh. rebrand. Yep. And then the Virgin merger happened just within the last couple of years, mm-hmm. two, three years. Very cool. Um, what a cool yeah. you're part of. Yeah, I was very lucky. All right, Duo, what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Well, for me, it's Creative Cloud. Uh Um, The ability to have um, all of the applications uh, available to you and updates available to you and not have to worry about CDs or I'm old enough to worry about discs even and things like that. It used to be a huge pain to get new programs and have everything loaded up. Nowadays, it's just everything is right there for you. Um, You can learn new programs. You can have things that you didn't have access to before because it was too expensive. And uh, to me, Adobe has just created uh, the perfect kind of creative cloud application access, you know, site that you can imagine. So mm-hmm. I, I really, really cherish that. Nice. And for me, it would be just simply having the internet so I can stay on top of things. Um, we can see what other designers are doing. 
Um, when I first entered the design world, it was all about opening books. And so you would be looking at the same work over and over, trying to make something new out of it in your mind, trying to be inspired by it in a different way. But on the internet, everything's new. You can see what everybody's doing. You can see what not to do. Um, and to be able to like pull inspiration from all of these different websites and to get on social media to see what different studios are doing. Um, that's really just amazing to me, all of this really quick access mm -hmm. to the design world and the world at large and how design affects that. Definitely. Well said. Well, Duo Team, you have reached the point of the show for the Ask It Forward question. Oh. I have a question for both of you from my previous guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell okay. you who they are, but you can ask <laughs> them anything. Okay. So, with that said, my previous guest was Danielle Evans from Marmalade Blue. Now, mm -hmm. she is what's called a dimensional typographer. So she takes food and objects... Um, and creates illustrations, stop motion, and typography with those objects. She's done things like making type with tampons. She's done things like, you know, really nice typography and logos with raw meat. She's <laughs> like just some incredible things. And most recently, she did a, um, an experiment with creating type and illustration using glow-in-the-dark jello. <laughs> so definitely yeah check her out on instagram because she's got some pretty wild stuff cool. cool um anyways in our interview we got really into talking about mental health and emotional wellness and some struggles you know with that when you're putting content out there in the world um you know especially like lauren had said out on the internet where everybody can see it mm -hmm. and you know on the internet people like to have their opinions oh yeah so <clears throat> she wanted to ask, what are you doing to regulate and sustain your emotional health through the process of being a public artist? Wow. Oh, oh that's interesting. I, I'm not sure that we've done anything to tell you the truth other than just kind of continue to, to put things out there. And I'm not sure that we've even uh, put ourselves out there enough to you know, understand, you know, how dangerous it is to put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear, I read a lot, you know, there's, of course, we all look at YouTube and there's designers on there and there's people talking about and there's lots of comments and things on there uh, that make people feel bad. And you just, you know, we don't really, haven't got ourselves out there that much in that capacity, but, you know, I think my answer would be just to kind of continue moving forward and ignore the noise and just do what you know. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. I think that if we let somebody on the internet or anyone else's voice sway us, then we're just failing immediately. Why not just continue to do, you know, what you know you're an expert of doing and just do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that my answer to the haters is they don't know the brief. They don't know the relationship. They don't know what it took to get to that point. So, for instance, Michael Beirut and team redesigned the Yahoo logo, mm -hmm. and people were like, 
big deal. This is nothing. It looks so simple. It's like Michael Beirut knows what he's doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't right. don't trash that. He's an expert. Um, yeah, I I just I've had things put up on brand new and whatever, and people critique it. But again, they don't know the brief. They don't know the relationship. They don't know the business. They're just reacting to the art. Mm-hmm. So that's what I tell myself. It, mm-hmm. It's always also a, you're working in collaboration with a client. And so if you're a student and you're out there creating a new brand for Microsoft, you know, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you're working with clients, then you're really collaborating with them and you're trying to get to a solution together and you know, in the end, who knows how much the client pushed and how much you pushed, and you're just getting there together. There's no other way to say it. And if you, you know, if you were able to do it in a vacuum, then you might create something totally different. But that's not the case. It's not ever the case because you have clients. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So a lot of, you know, um, you know, just talking to yourself and reassuring yourself that, that this guy doesn't know what he's talking. They don't know the relationship. They don't know the brief. They don't know the history. Absolutely. Right. Got it. So, Duo team, Duo design partners, what is your ask it forward question? What is it, Lauren? It is. (laughs) Where do you find your inspiration outside of the world of print and design? I like it. Um, Why does it spark you? Um. So, yeah, something outside of the world of design mm-hmm. and how you bring that into your work, how you can f- feel that joy and harness it and bring it into your work and bring yourself into it. I like it. Thanks. Cool. Duo partners, you've made it to the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate your patience and um, your time while we sorted out little technical stuff. And um, yeah. it was great connecting with you guys. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dave. No problem. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It was definitely longer than the usual quickie podcast, but I wanted to keep this as one whole episode because the story just tied together so nicely. Lauren and Larry really just brought it in this episode, share their experience open and honestly, and what they're struggling with right now. So thank you again for that, Duo Design Partners. I will be back tomorrow with a Friday episode for you. Thanks again. See ya.